turn to hear the Word of God today. We're in the second week of looking at 1 Corinthians 15, and we study this great chapter of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we hopefully learn some lessons as to how we apply that to our life and what that resurrection for us means today. Last week, you remember, we looked at verses 1 through 11, and we heard Paul give us the foundation of the gospel in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he, uh, was, he died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, and then on the third day, God brought him back from the dead. And that's the foundation uh, of our belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, today I just simply want to ask you a question is, what if it didn't happen? What if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a reality? What, what, if, what if the resurrection of Christ has not taken place? What does it mean for your life? What does it mean for us who claim to be believers today? What does it mean for our life? What difference would it make in our life if Jesus had not been raised from the dead? And to take it another step, what does it mean in our life today to know that Jesus has risen from the dead? Uh, what if is the question that uh, critics and people of faith have asked for over 2,000 years about Jesus Christ. And it's really a biblical question uh, that's asked in another form by the Apostle Paul in our Scripture from today. And if you'll turn there with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we'll look at verses 12 through 20. Uh, the Apostle Paul continues to talk about the resurrection of Christ. And he says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men." But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, when we read this passage of Scripture, and when we hear it, when we look at it, when we study it, you've got to notice that seven times in this writing, the Apostle Paul uses that small but powerful word, if. Last week in verse 2, we saw the significance of it uh, when Paul says, By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So Paul says seven times, if. He uses that word, if, about the resurrection never having occurred. So what, what, is, what is Paul doing? Well, Paul is using perhaps what we might call the question of contrary assumption in order to show us how much depends on the bodily resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is praying devil's advocate to us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we need to remember is that there is an astonishing miracle that lies at the very heart of our faith, and that is that we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, every generation of believers in Jesus Christ for the last 2,000 years has had to wrestle with these issues. Remember last week when we looked at the, the essence of the background of verses 1 through 11, that the Apostle Paul was writing to a fairly young and adolescent church in Corinth. 
And they lived under the influence of the Greek culture, which said that there was no resurrection of the body. And they had the philosophical belief that the body was matter, and so it was evil, and that spirit was only what was good. And so they were kind of teaching that, well, if there is any kind of resurrection at all, then that there's just simply the resurrection of a spirit. And so the uh, believers here uh, in, in Corinth were beginning to think, Maybe we are just resurrected as kind of bodies running, as, as spirits running around without a body. And their problem was that they hadn't really totally embraced and brought into their life the, the power and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, when we come to look at these verses, 12 through 20, we see that the Apostle Paul continues to address that issue of uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it continues to be an issue today, even in this modern culture in which we live today. But Paul reinforces the central fact of our faith, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was dead and buried, but on the third day brought back to life by the power of God. Now, if all that he endured on the cross had ended there, then there would be no good news to share. There would be no bold church. There would be no New Testament to preach and to teach. And there would be no hope for real life here or in the hereafter. And to make sure of that, Paul gives us four reasons that, that would, um, that would uh, kind of answer that question, what if Jesus had never been resurrected? And very quickly, let's look at them this morning. First of all, he says, if there was no resurrection, then all preaching is without purpose. You find that in verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised." Look at that one word in there, the word useless. Some translations use the word vain, depending upon what translation of Scripture uh, you use. What that word useless literally means is without content. It means that all we have learned means that nothing has come out of it. All that we have learned, all that we have studied, all that we have been taught, and all that we have taught is of no consequence at all, is of no value. It's useless without content. Paul says that if there is no resurrection, then all preaching is without purpose. Some of you probably sat through a lot of sermons and you thought the same thing, but there's no content to it at all. I would hope that's not the case. But see, Paul says if there's no been no resurrection of Christ, then all of our preaching, and remember we talked about the resurrection of Christ was at the very heart and center, the core of the New Testament preaching of Peter and John. That they preach the good news of Christ and the resurrection. And you see, we have to preach that resurrection. Because if not, then all of our preaching is without any kind of content. Well, you might want to try to make the argument and say, well, even without the resurrection, we've got the wonderful teachings of Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount and all those other things. But we still have the biblical truth that says He died for our sins. And that's true. But it would not really have a great significance for our life because we would not know if the death of Jesus on the cross satisfied God's demand for the justification of our sins and whether God had accepted the sacrifice of Christ and what that would mean in our life. 
And that would mean then that all of our preaching would indeed be in vain. All of our teaching, all of you who go from here to teach a Sunday school class, all of you who go to sit in a Sunday school class, all of that would be uh, a vain, would be repetitious, meaningless, nothings coming to you if the resurrection of Christ was not a reality. And you see, the reason is because the gospel is founded upon that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he underscored that in verses 3 through 4 as we looked at last week. You see, without the resurrection, Jesus could not have conquered sin, death, and hell. And the good news that we proclaim today would actually be bad news. If there were no proof that Jesus had been brought back from the dead, then there is no proof about all of his claims being true. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And none of that would be true if Jesus Christ had not been brought back from the dead. And the bottom line, the consequences of that would mean there'd be no need for any churches. There'd be no need for any Bible study classes. There would be no need for any seminary, southeastern, southern, southwestern, or any of them. If Jesus Christ had not come from the dead, there wouldn't be any need for any Christian bookstores. Because you would not have a gospel to proclaim. And the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association might as well close the doors. Why? Because without the resurrection, all preaching has no purpose. Now, the second thing Paul says is this. If there is no resurrection, then our faith is without forgiveness. Look at what he says in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Now, the important word there is the word futile. It's different than the word useless. The word futile means that it produces no results. Now, how do we come to understand that? Well, it's like a promise with no fulfillment. It's a trip with no destination. It's a story with no end. It's a seed that produces no crop. It's a dream that never comes true. It's a company that has no product. I say, when we look at our culture today, there are various religions from which you could choose to commit your life to or to bring into your life thinking that it would add value to your life. And the more diverse our population becomes, with more people coming from foreign and distant lands and bringing their strange faith with them, their strange religions, there are more challenges in our culture today. And as we prepare to minister then to people who have confused beliefs about how our sins are dealt with, and how we choose a religion or a faith that makes a difference in our life, then you simply have to ask them one question. Out of all the religions that you might be considering, ask each one of them, how does this religion deal with the issue of sin in my life? Because, see, the Christian faith through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only religion, if you want to call it a religion, or the only faith-based value that can assure you of the forgiveness of your sins. See, if Christ had remained in the tomb, he, he would never have been accepted as God's sacrifice for our sins. You remember as we looked through uh, during the Easter season, some of the sayings of Jesus, and, and right before Jesus died, he cried out in a loud voice and said, it is finished. You got to ask yourself again, what was finished? Was Jesus finished? Absolutely not. The story of salvation and what he needed to do on the cross was finished. You see, if, but if he doesn't rise from the dead, Jesus is finished. And the story is over and we're still in our sins. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished, God cried out and said, Amen, when he raised his son from the dead. 
And that's the great issue that's in Paul's mind. Are we truly forgiven or not? See, if Christ has not been raised, then the answer is no. If Christ has been raised from the dead, then the answer is yes. Without the resurrection, our faith is useless. Or it is, is, is in a futility because there is no meaning to it whatsoever. Now, the third significance about the fact that if there is no resurrection means then our death is without deliverance. Look at verse 18. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Paul says that Christians who have died have fallen asleep in Christ. And and, and the Greek phrase there for fall asleep is the word from which we get the word cemetery. And the word cemetery in the beginning had a distinctive Christian name which meant the place of the sleeping. And that's the beautiful image that that the Bible portrays for us. That death is a reality but we can call it sleeping because we know that there is a day of resurrection that you eventually get up. When you go to bed at night you eventually assume you're going to get up at some point in time. You're going to wake up. When you take a nap, you're going to get up at some point in time. Therefore, when we are dead and we're placed in the ground to wait the day of resurrection, we do so with the hope that we're going to rise again. And that's all based on the actuality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many of you, and especially since February, we have stood beside the grave of many people that we have loved. And we have committed them into the to the ground to wait the day of resurrection, believing in our heart that their eternal spirit has already gone into the presence of God because to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. But we also do so with a strong and steadfast hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they will rise one day and that we too will meet them. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And he goes on to say, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And he says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. You see, our hope for life beyond death is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Because he abolished death, sin, and the grave. And then there is a fourth consequence of the fact that if there is no resurrection. And that would be that our commitment to Christ is a mistaken choice. Paul says in verse 19 something that we need to hear and understand very completely. Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You see, we as believers in Jesus Christ believe that we build our lives around the conviction that if you have faith in Christ, then God does something powerful in your life and He recreates you. You're a new creation. Your sins are forgiven. You have the new nature that comes into your life that does battle with that sin nature. And you're a new person in Christ and you have a new destination. And when you die in this world, then you are resurrected to live in a new world. And you see, we ought to know the difference in our life when we have come to know Christ as Savior in our life. And it makes more than just a good feel difference in our life. When drug companies are are marketing a new product, they run tests with two different groups of people. 
They give to one group of people the new medicine that they've developed, and they give to other people what's called a sugar pill or, or a, uh, a placebo of some sort. It's, it's, it's really nothing that will change or influence their life in any kind of way. And they do that for a simple reason, because the mind is powerful. And some people feel that because they've taken a tablet or taken some kind of medicine, they are better than they actually are. It's just something in their mind. That's the placebo effect. Now, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then our faith and our life is no more than a placebo life. Now, what does that mean for us when we carry it forward? It means that all of our Bible study and the knowledge that it's given to us and the spiritual growth really is just something that we dream up. It means that our worship is is void of any kind of truth and reality about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And we don't, don't have a living Savior to praise. And it means that everything that has been brought into our life of value from our faith in Jesus Christ who conquered death and the grave and sin for us is of no consequence whatsoever. It means that what we do in times of worship here just kind of help us to feel good. The songs that we sing put a little lift into our spirit. And the, the, the fellowship and friendship we have with other Christian believers just helps us along a little bit in life. But in reality, there's been no change in our life. There's no power in our life to bring about that change. And certainly then there is no hope in our mind, that heart, that we could ever be resurrected to a new life. Now you think about Paul writing these words. You know, I think he must have done it with passion because his own autobiography, as we read it in the New Testament, particularly in Acts, tells us he paid a high price for following Christ. On on five occasions, he was beaten 39 lashes. On three occasions, he was beaten with rods. On one occasion, he was stoned and drug out of a city as given up for dead. Three times, he was shipwrecked. And he had constantly been in and out of prison. Why? All for the sake of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And Paul says, if Christ has not risen, I've endured all of this for nothing. And that simply isn't worth it. And if there is no resurrection, then the cost of your commitment to Christ, whatever level you have, is merely a mistaken choice that you have made. You see, we have to remember that if we say, well, we could still live the Christian life and it's the best life to live whether there's any other resurrection or not. You have to remember that, that Jesus called us to take up a cross and to follow after Him. And that's the call to make a choice of commitment that goes with a price. And if you really live for Christ and if you're really living that Christian life, then there are some things in your life that are of cost and value to you. That means that you have given of yourself sacrificially. You give of your money, hopefully, uh, of tithes and beyond that because of the love of God in your life and because He's made a difference in your life. You're willing to go to seminary and train to go into life and be called into a ministry, a profession of, of a ministry in which you will give your life in ministry and service. I don't know where you people at Southeastern who are here with us today plan to go. But I remember the day of graduation from Southern that there were those who were going into the foreign mission field that I knew I would never see again until I saw them in glory. And the same might be true with some of you all. Some of you might end up in foreign lands and you might be martyred because of your faith and because you dare to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a cost that you'll have to pay. Some of you at work or school might be ridiculed because you say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. That's a cost you have to pay. 
And if resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't a reality, then that's, you, you just, you, you've got a costly choice that you've made for nothing. And listen to what Paul says, though, in verse 20. He says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, that one word, but, changes a lot, doesn't it? Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That's the affirmation that Paul comes to make. After asking all these what ifs and finding seven times at least the word if in the translation. Because you see, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then Christianity falls apart. And we would all be the most miserable people in the world. But the reality is that the tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is no longer there. He lives in the power of a new life. And He is alive to make a difference in our life. And to whatever level you choose to follow after Him, that is the choice that you make and the cost that you pay because you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that brings about the fulfillment of everything that God sent Jesus into this world to accomplish. That He would live the perfect life. That He would die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He would be dead and buried but then brought back to life on the third day by the power of God and His resurrection would validate everything that He is, everything that He said, and everything that He will do in the future. That's why Paul says to us in verse 58 as he concludes this chapter, he says, Then let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, the resurrection of of Jesus Christ is a reality that makes your choice of faith one of value and not a costly mistake. Let me close with this story. Story is told of an indoctrination meeting that was held in in Soviet Union before the fall of communism. And the speaker for that day, with all of the people gathered before him, said, in conclusion, there is no God. Jesus Christ never existed. There is no such thing as the Holy Spirit. The church is an oppressive institution, and the church is out of date. The future belongs to the state, and the state is in the hands of the Communist Party. And then he went to dismiss the meeting when an elderly Orthodox priest stood on the front row And he asked a simple question. He said, may I say three words? And rather reluctantly, the communist leader agreed to do so. And the Orthodox priest turned and lifted his hands and he gathered the people in his presence. And he said simply boldly, he is risen. And for a moment there was a pause and then thousands of voices shouted back, he is risen indeed. And that's the reality of our faith. Jesus Christ is risen. And you know what that means for us at the bottom dollar when we think about it today with all that Paul has mentioned to us? It means that our preaching has purpose. It means that your education at Southeastern has purpose and meaning. It means that our faith does have forgiveness. It means that our death has a deliverance. And it means our commitment to Christ is worth the cost of choice. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reality. What if it never happened? You don't have to worry about that because it did. The Bible says so. And it's there that we are challenged to make our choice. My prayer and hope for every one of us is that we'll make the choice to claim Jesus Christ as Savior and believe in the resurrection to experience that transforming power in our life now. And the transformation that will come when He comes to claim His church. Father, we bow before You today and we lift up voices filled with faith and praise. 
because of Jesus Christ and His presence in our life, all of that through the resurrection that You brought about through Your own power. So, Father, as I pray today, I pray that decisions will be made as we share our faith together in Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead by the power of God, and that I will make a difference in our life, and there will be those who will commit their life to Christ as Savior. And there will be others who will come to love Him, love You more deeply, more sincerely, more clearly, and who will come and follow after You with any decision that needs to be made. And Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing the hymn of invitation. That's always an invitation for you to make public spiritual decisions. Transfer of letter, promise of your profession of faith, baptism for you as you believe in Jesus Christ, whatever you need to do. As we stand and sing hymn 439, Jesus I Come. <laughs>